After the controversy-plagued tenure of Julie Payette, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced Mary Simon will be Canada's next Governor-General. Our country's first Indigenous Vice Regal comes with an impressive diplomatic resume and extensive experience as a First Nations advocate, and it comes as Canada is reckoning with reconciliation. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post political reporter Chris Nardi joins me to discuss the significance of the appointment, how Simon feels coming into the role, and the challenge of restoring public confidence after the Payette scandal. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Chris, after months without a vice regal, without a governor general, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced a replacement for Julie Payette. Let's just start with the basics. Who is Mary Simon? Mary Simon is a woman who's accomplished a lot in her life. So I think the first and most important thing to point out is that she is Canada's first Indigenous Governor General. She's the 30th Governor General in Canada. So it gives you an idea of how long it took for uh, the Queen's representative in Canada to be an Indigenous person. So Mary Simon was born in northern Quebec. She was born in an area called now called Nunavik. She grew up uh, partly in Quebec, went to federal day school, which is not a residential school as it is. It's, it's really just a day school, but in, in many cases, a similar experience as the residential schools in the sense that it was a very focused on learning English and forgetting about your indigenous roots. So eventually she went on to become a radio reporter for CBC North. Uh, she has led a host of important Indigenous organizations. She's an Innu activist who has been very involved in advancing Indigenous rights in Canada uh, and was also Canada's first Indigenous ambassador. So she was at one point our ambassador to Denmark, and she was also in charge of circumpolar affairs. So basically the Canadian North when it comes to negotiating international accords to protect the North. A seasoned veteran of both you know, diplomacy, of uh, political Indigenous leadership, brief stint in the media, but mostly yeah, very much uh, an Indigenous rights activist who has had involvement and even run-ins going all the way back to Pierre Elliott Trudeau, uh, father of Justin Trudeau. What kind of run-ins did she have with Trudeau the Elder? So we have to go back almost 40 years. We're talking 1983. So uh, then Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau got in a tiff with this young Indigenous woman, uh, Mary Simon, because she was insisting that Indigenous women have the same rights that were given to Indigenous men. So at the time, uh, there was this big discussion while there was the conference clarifying the 1982 Constitution. Um, and part of that was how they would incorporate Indigenous rights into the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And at the time, there was a severe inequality between Indigenous men and Indigenous women, because at the time, if an Indigenous man married Married a non-Indigenous woman, their children were still allowed to pass on their Indigenous status to their children. But if a woman married a non-Indigenous man, then their children were considered non-Indigenous. And so that was one of the, the first major clashes that Mary Simon had with a political leader, Mr. Trudeau, in fighting for Indigenous rights. And now fast forward almost 40 years later, and she is now being named by the son of that prime minister as the Canada's first Indigenous governor general to you know, partially in her and in, in her case, continue advancing the indigenous cause and reconciliation with Canadians as she was doing 40 years ago. 
as we've discussed, Mary Simon is the first Indigenous person to be appointed to the role of Governor General. What did the Prime Minister and Simon herself have to say about the significance of that appointment? Well, she said herself, it's a historic appointment. It's a very, very important, symbolically, a very important uh, nomination. Obviously, she's not talking about herself as a human being, but just the, the fact that an Indigenous woman was being named to our, our symbolic head of state or the representative of the head of state in Canada uh, was a huge step forward for Indigenous people. And it was interesting because during that press conference at the Museum of History here in Gatineau, reporters, we asked her, do you sense that there's a clash between your new role as representative of the Queen, and as we know, British monarchy and British imperial colonizers were everything but kind to Indigenous people uh, during the colonization, obviously massacred a lot of those populations. So do you see somewhat of a you know conflict between your identity as an Indigenous person and the role that you are taking on? And she was very clear. She said, no, uh, I see myself as taking on this role and, and kind of ushering in a new era where, you know, Indigenous people are now in the senior echelons of government. And we're coming here to enact change and just keep building, kind of reconciling this role with the past, but also, you know, changing it for the future, making sure that going forward, this role isn't associated with the colonization of Indigenous people, but, you know, really just bringing that change in from the inside. So for her, there was no contrast. Some Indigenous communities have, you know, celebrated her nomination, but also said, well, were somewhat uncomfortable with this idea that you have taken a senior role in what is viewed as a very colonial, you know, state of government, especially a colonial role. But I think a lot of that conflict, or let's say that what people perceive as an inner conflict between the Indigenous identity and the role of Governor General, you know, that conflict will be defined by how she occupies this seat mm-hmm. for the next, you know, few years, for the next uh, six or uh, seven years. That will define if there is, in fact, a conflict or not. Now, the appointment comes at a time when Canada as a country is wrestling with the idea of reconciliation with our First Nations and the discovery of more than 1,000 unmarked graves at a number of residential school sites and searches going on at other sites to see if they can uncover unmarked graves. I imagine this is an issue that was addressed by Simon and the Prime Minister during her announcement. What was the mood relating to the kind of the climate in Canada today? I think the announcement, the decision to choose Mary Simon as governor general this time, and I say this time because she's been in the running in the past, according to a book written by her and published by her her husband, a former reporter back in 2010, already back then she was being considered for the role back when it became Daniel uh, Johnson David Johnson. David, David Johnson. Johnson. Sorry. David Johnson. Uh, and then once again, when Julie Payette was named uh, a few years ago, again, her name was in the running and she always was just shortlisted, but never quite made it. So she's been in the running of this role for many years. So obviously now the context and, and the significance of her nomination is incredibly more important as Canadians are reckoning with the discovery of all these unmarked graves and, and basically more specifically, the treatment that was inflicted on Indigenous peoples by Canadians over the last, you know, 150 odd years of Confederation, even before that. So, you know, she herself said during the press conference, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of suffering amongst Indigenous people right now in Canada. And so for her, you know, she was, although she was honored and humbled and ready to be Canada's Governor General, she also says, you know, I'm, my work now is going to be promoting healing, promoting wellness across Canadian society. It's going to be part of her job. She wants it to be is, is to 
you know, help Canadians fully recognize and basically come to terms with the atrocities we've been learning about. And they've been like front page of, of newspapers across Canada for weeks now, uh, as we discover more unmarked graves and as more of them will be discovered as searches are undertaken. So it's a very important time. Obviously, there was also a political calculation on, on Trudeau's end now that the symbolic is very important here and, and the symbolism. And as we know, the Trudeau government is very heavy set on on symbolism that's probably why julie payette you know was nominated a few years ago for you know a woman uh, astronaut scientist brilliant woman was nominated you know there was a lot of optics behind that uh, i'm not saying that obviously that mary simon is purely optics or contrary she's incredibly deserving but there's a timing that comes in here that i think is really important the context is very important and you know there's an election consideration too likely right in the next month or so uh, that was also a significant consideration how does this signal that we could be facing an election in the near future? Well, it signals it as pretty much as strong as, you know, dozens of ministers making announcements across the country every single day for the last week, <laughs> I'd say. They've been announcing over the last few days and re-announcing this, this uh, big, you know, high-frequency rail that they promised to build between Windsor and Quebec City. Mm-hmm. And I think on the day that it was announced, there were 10 ministers on the ground in like two or three different cities to make the same announcement. And that was, you know, a day after 400 odd million were announced in Alberta. And, you know, then the yesterday that was the green line, I believe that was green lit in Calgary, yeah. uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Summers are usually for spending, but <laughs> this is in Italian, we say spendacion is that's, you know, huge spending, like big spending. Uh, everything of this week's election, uh, the polling is relatively positive, if not very positive, depending on the polls for the liberals. They're very, very tired of a minority government. They've been kind of struggling with, especially in the last year. And so they want a majority. And so, you know, the the rumor around virtual, let's say, hallways of parliament here is we're thinking mid-August would be a likely time for an election call. And then it's about a 40-day election. Mm -hmm. That can or cannot happen. But it's everything, every single sign right now points to an imminent election. And naming a governor general now ensures that you have someone who can dissolve parliament if necessary at that time, instead of having to go to the chief justice of the Supreme Court, who was holding those responsibilities temporarily in the meantime. As you mentioned earlier, the appointment of Mary Simon was widely congratulated by First Nations leaders, but it still is a very largely symbolic role. Do we get a sense that there's concern that, you know, this could be seen by the government as, oh, we did a good thing and you know, it doesn't necessarily address some of the deeper issues facing First Nations in Canada. That's a good question. And I think that this specific decision is going to have to be considered as part of a larger package of things that the government needs to do, right? And so I'll, let's say I'll go back to the famous 94 calls to action that were published by the Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission back in 2015. So, right, so that commission was set in place to, you know, go across the country and come up with uh, recommendations and you know calls to action that would help ensure that Canada was on the path to reconciliation with indigenous communities. And you know, a few weeks ago, my colleague Ryan Tumulty and I in the National Post, you know, basically did a study of where those 94 calls to action are today. Where what's the progress? And honestly, the completion rate is relatively abysmal. We're talking about 13 or 14 of the 94 are completed six years later. 
So naming a governor, an, an indigenous governor general is an important step. As you say, it's a symbolic role, but it's still a relatively important role in that she is commander in chief of the armed forces, but she also works with a lot of communities. They're kind of a, you know, a bridge between government and communities and do a lot of that symbolic, but very, you know, kind of vice regal work. But, you know, that can't be obviously the only thing that the Trudeau government does to advance reconciliation with indigenous communities. You know, if they set aside, for example, and probably will happen, but let's say they completely ignore all the remaining calls to action that haven't been fulfilled and only fixate on naming an indigenous person, woman to governor general, then I think that it'll just be generally considered, a, uh, you know, an absolute failure of, you know, advancing reconciliation. So this is one out of many steps. Uh, hopefully, or it needs to be at least one of many steps. The role is important. It's symbolic. It represents the queen. So naming an indigenous person to a role that, you know, would have previously, you know, 400 years ago been considered extremely oppressive to indigenous people is an important step in kind of cleaning out that, not just that image, but cleaning out that role and, and bringing in indigenous representation in that role. But obviously, yeah, it can't be the only thing that's done. And, and reconciliation goes through, you know, a lot of organizations and a lot more work and a lot more, you know, reckoning amongst Canadians and government. Now, the appointment, while it was welcomed across political lines, is not without controversy. And this one, being from out West, kind of boggles my mind a little bit. Why is it a big deal that she doesn't speak French? <laughs> uh, it's a big deal, I guess, to the 8 million Canadians and Quebecers who uh, only speak French and who feel that the representative of our head of state cannot communicate with them. To be completely fair with Mary Simon, so she is bilingual, mm -hmm. but she speaks Inuktitut and English. And she says that even though she grew up in northern Quebec, she was not afforded the possibility to learn French in the federal day school that she went to because she was simply not allowed. It's actually very much a testament to the olden days when French was viewed as an absolute, you know, by the federal government as, as an inconvenience in many cases. And so obviously, fast forward today, that would be impossible to imagine that the federal government would at any point impose English on anyone in Quebec. But that was the case in the time. She hasn't learned French since, but she has committed to learning French ASAP, that is one of her priorities upon getting into government. She did promise to conduct all of her official duties in the future in French and in English. But it does feel like a slap in the face to a lot of French-speaking Canadians or Quebecers because you almost get the sense that this might open the door. It opens the door to two things. First, it's almost like saying, well, I guess there were no worthy Indigenous people who spoke French, which is obviously not true. Mm -hmm. There are a, a whole host of Indigenous people and leaders who speak French and English who would have likely been very good for the role. And some people feel like it just compounds this image that you can't be super competent and speak French, which is, uh, you know, obviously just something that a minority kind of feels very sensitive to. The other thing is, is really just, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, this idea that, you know, you cannot communicate with a senior representative of the Canadian government is, is frustrating. And it feels like bilingualism is, you know, becomes an afterthought once again, or even just the French people become an afterthought. Will she learn French quickly? Uh, hopefully. Will she, you know, make good with that promise? Hopefully. I've seen a lot of federal party leaders who have promised to improve their French. And then, you know, a year or two later, it sounds like it got worse. <laughs> so that was to be seen. But, um, but I'd say, you know, generally speaking, Quebec is not a very pro-governor general province. So the fact that she doesn't speak French is really kind of the fourth strike mm -hmm. when she's already out. You know, like, you know, Quebec's issues with the idea of a governor general far supersede 
the language that they speak. Yeah. So like I said, she's, you know, the role is already out. Add a fourth strike to it. What does it change? You know? Yeah. Now, as we've discussed on this show before, Simon's predecessor left the job in a cloud of controversy. We don't need to get into the details about all the reasons that Julie Payette left, but does this appointment signal that the Trudeau government learned its lesson about the vetting process and appointments? Time will tell. <laughs> you know, seemingly, yes. I was told that the vetting process uh, for this nomination was, let's say, uh, aggressive, thorough, <laughs> deeper. And, you know, I say that it wasn't, the bar was very low because as a lot of reporting by my my colleague, Brian Platt here in, in Ottawa has shown over the years is that it was very, very easy to trace back the kind of difficult relationships that Julie Payette had with previous employees in her previous jobs and like every single one of them leading up to her nomination as governor general. So honestly, the baseline for background checking was very, very low. Uh, I have been told that it was very thorough. They were very thorough about the shortlisted candidates. And obviously there have been no stories that have arisen about Mary Simon since then. Uh, It really has been, you know, universal, uh, generally universal happiness about this. Obviously, only time will tell how she will actually come into the role and settle in at Rideau Hall, which is admittedly a notoriously slow to change place mm-hmm. as a public service. The secretariat to Rideau Hall, which is you know, the, the name of the bureaucracy there, is notoriously against changing and slow to change and resistant to change, which is obviously something that Julie Payette hit you know, head on going 100 miles an hour in an 18 wheeler. You know, so that might be a struggle for any governor general going forward. You know, the bar is relatively low when it comes to background checking, and we seem to have passed it for now. Given all of this past controversy, what does Mary Simon say about bringing confidence back to the office of governor general? Well, she knows that there's a lot of work to be done, and she has promised to you know bring honor back to Rideau Hall and and help Canadians basically rebuild that confidence with an institution that you know as you said was mostly shattered under Julie Payette as the the horror stories were coming out about the harassment and the toxic climate that the employees lived through, and that was well documented in a, a workplace report earlier this year. So she's just promised to, you know, bring in a new atmosphere that she wants to bring in some change, but also wants to bring in, you know, integrity. She called it the, the highest standard of work ethics going forward, you know, setting in and maintaining that. She actually hasn't been nominated. She's not formally governor general until she's been formally sworn in. Mm-hmm. And so she, until she is sworn in, she's not governor general, but she did promise to have more to say about that after she was sworn in and settled in a Rito Hall. I know like many Canadians across the country, we wish Mary Simon all the best in the role. Chris, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Chris Nardi. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.